My name is Chris Charbonneau, and I'm the host of the Fall of Roe podcast. I'm a 40-year veteran of the pro-choice movement. I have been the CEO of Planned Parenthoods in seven different states and have decades of experience in the pro-choice realm. This is an unapologetically pro-choice podcast. We are going to talk about the disaster that is the unfolding dismantling of the Roe standard across the United States, creating 50 states worth of patchwork laws, the danger that that poses to anyone of reproductive age and all of us who love them. We need to figure out how we as a collective are going to get through this, change this situation, give ourselves some hope and get back to sanity in this country. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Fall of Roe podcast. This is an unapologetically pro-choice look at the events swirling around us today. My name is Chris Charbonneau. I'm your host for this podcast. And with me is Cecile Richards, originally a Texan, I think still a Texan. Once the first daughter of Texas, Ann Richards was the governor, who is Cecile's mother. And uh, always, Cecile, a community organizer her entire life. She was president of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America for well over a decade and now is working nonstop on this election cycle, especially helping candidate Beto O'Rourke in his bid. So I would like to quickly get to Cecile because you all want to hear her talk. Welcome, Cecile. Well, here we are on the eve of the fall of Roe. Tell me what you're thinking about today. Oh, Chris, God, I thought about you so many times because I feel like, yeah, like a few weeks ago, the world just changed. And even though you and I have been discussing this possibility for many, many years and, you know, through all our work at Planned Parenthood, always tried to prepare for this moment. I think there is a part of us that inside thought they really will not go this far. And I think this is, if it's just dawning on us, as I, I know we are seeing around the country, it is really now just dawning on people who are only now joining our program, figuring out that, in fact, when the Republicans say we're for overturning the right um, to safe and legal abortion, we're for ending Roe, they actually meant it. Yeah, they meant it. And they're actually OK with hurting people with it. Um, this morning, there's a Marist poll out with PBS, Marist and a few others that are saying 64 percent of Americans don't think Roe should be overturned. And making it um, clear that more Democrats are inspired to come to the polls to make sure that this doesn't wreak havoc than Republicans. And uh, it's significant. It creates a big gap in the voter um, intention. And uh, that is really unusual in the the midterm election with whoever's in the White House being of the opposite party, usually um, in the case of a Democrat like Joe Biden being in the White House, that would give Republicans a big bump. Maybe they won't see it. Um, is that what you're hearing through your circles? Well, I, again, I, it's interesting. I've you know been on a lot of TV shows with, frankly, a lot of men who say, oh, well, we, you know, we always knew this was coming. And which I think is sort of a ridiculous thing to say, because no one could have really known this was coming. And two, We've actually never lived in a country, many or millions of people have never lived in a country where abortion was illegal completely, you know, period, stop. And so I think what is the the dynamic we're looking at here is people who really never thought about this issue because they didn't have to are now grappling with what this means for themselves, their community, their students, their daughters, their sons, their, you know, you name it. And that is an unpredictable 
element in these midterm elections. I'll also say, though, and I think you are experienced together over many years at Planned Parenthood to confirm this is you can't expect that people will figure out what's going on unless we actually tell them. And so we're seeing now, you know, I come from Texas, as you said, a state that literally banned abortion after six weeks back in September. I've been recently on the phone with abortion providers in that state. And the the stories are, they're heartbreaking, but then they are also infuriating and motivating. And so I believe that one of the things we need to do is actually try to spell out for people what it looks like to be in a country that no longer allows people to make their own decisions about their pregnancy, because it's, it's really bleak. Spell it out for us. Tell us what you're hearing on the ground. That's what this show is for. Well, I was, you know, I'd gone down to Texas for the the rally, and I took uh, took an afternoon to talk to abortion providers, patient navigators, clinicians from everywhere from El Paso to Waco to Dallas to Austin to Lubbock. And look, you were in this work for so many, many years. None of these stories would surprise you, and yet there there is still a gut punch. You know, talking to an abortion provider in El Paso, which for your viewers who haven't been to Texas, is right on the border with Mexico and on the border of New Mexico, very underserved community already. And, you know, women calling who have been denied um, denied miscarriage management at the local hospital, so have to show up, find someone else who actually can take care of them. Women who need a surgical abortion. One woman needed to needed a surgical abortion. Can't you can't get those uh, now in Texas after six weeks? And she uh, needed to go to Albuquerque, but she couldn't because there was a border checkpoint between El Paso and Albuquerque. So there is no way that there was any possible uh, way for her to drive and and get abortion services. Of course, you hear all the stories about people going across the border to Juarez and the you know to buy what they call ulcer medication uh, over the counter, but the complications of that, they mainly sell it only to men. And so women have to find someone that they trust that will not turn them into the authorities. And of course, we heard the story that made national news of the young woman in Starr County, which is quite near nearby, just down, um, you know, also in South Texas, 26-year-old young woman who was literally put in jail, held with half a million dollars bond, for trying to allegedly terminate her own pregnancy. And even though she was eventually released because it was an illegal arrest, the trauma of that and what that, I think what that illustrates, Chris, and I think, I guess if I were, I could tell you all the stories I've heard, but the overwhelming uh, theme of every doctor and clinician and person I talked to emphasized the enormous fear and isolation for women who have an unintended pregnancy and in the state of Texas have no one they can turn to. Because of course, you talk to your pastor, you talk to your teacher, you talk to your sister, your brother, your mother, any of those people, if they help you, could be turned in under the bounty hunter system that Governor Greg Abbott has put in place. So I think it's a it's a it's a really horrible, painful, inhumane, cruel uh, situation for people in Texas. Absolutely. And it means that the Supreme Court abdicated its responsibility to put away what they had suggested themselves was an entirely illegal approach to how to get something over the finish line. They sort of suggested that they weren't sure that they approved of that, but they didn't say that people couldn't do it. And so here we are in Texas and 
Our our people in Idaho have joined them, but in Idaho they upped the bounty, Cecile, to twenty thousand dollars in case ten grand wasn't enough. I don't think there's any part of an American values system that lets people snitch on their neighbors for cash and that that's how our justice works. And, you know, I feel like the woman who was smeared in Texas for something that's not even illegal in the state has been done irreparable damage. I said on my first show, I thought that this was an ideal place for the Biden administration to come in with a massive HIPAA fine for the people involved in that healthcare system. After all, this is not a person releasing her information. This is a healthcare system. And that's when HIPAA applies. I'd also say that I think it's become apparent that the Supreme Court justices that are prepared to vote to allow this travesty to stand all lied to the American public in their confirmation hearings because they all said that this kind of thing would be entirely unacceptable under precedent. And yet um, here we are as a part of a, a 20 plus year project to get us exactly to this point. And I couldn't agree more, Cecile. It is cruel and unusual, designed to isolate women. And for folks that weren't sure what Cecile was talking about in terms of ulcer medication, um, one of the two drugs involved in the mifepristone misoprostol combination that makes up the abortion regimen is misoprostol. And that is often used by a bunch of old white men for their arthritis. So not only white men, it would also work for women, but a lot more men, for whatever reason, access this drug. And therefore, it is available in all 50 states, and it is available in Mexico. And it actually, with a look at some of the research, can work alone without the other drug in the appropriate dosage to affect um, end of a pregnancy, and therefore um, is going to be highly sought after sort of on the gray market, let's say as this goes forward. And so um, I would also imagine that that having all kinds of people run over the state line toward Mexico would be undermining the health care of the women uh, or people who need pregnancy-related care in Mexico. How do they handle something like the numbers of Americans that are going to fall out over the borders, both on the Canadian side and the Mexican side? Well, one other thing, too, Chris, that came up last week when I was talking to the providers in, in El Paso is, of course, yes, medication abortion is such an important early option uh, to terminate a pregnancy, safe, you know, available, although the states like Texas are trying to make it unavailable completely to be sent to people in Texas. But it doesn't always work. And so, of course, the stories that we're hearing, and I'm sure you used to hear them um, at Planned Parenthood, are people are coming in who it didn't didn't work. They now need a surgical abortion. And of course, your options in Texas right now are driving to, you know, out of the state, driving to Colorado, driving to Mississippi, driving to uh, New Mexico, Arizona. This, though, so just to, to sort of add a complexity to this if, in fact, this Supreme Court decision comes down, as the, the draft uh, sort of suggests, a new law will go into effect in Texas, which outlaws all abortions. End of story. No six weeks, no nothing. And, of course, it will also end abortions in many surrounding states. So the average drive time for someone who needs to or a distance that someone would have to go is a minimum of a thousand miles round trip. And a lot of the women that we're talking about have never been out of the state of Texas. They've certainly never been on an airplane. 
And, you know, a, a woman in, in Waco was telling me about, you know, women piling all their family into a car and driving to Colorado you know, to to access safe and legal abortion. So the the challenge is, is, as someone said the other day, I thought this was really poignant. She's a, she's a kind of a navigator for patients in Austin. And she says, it's not just that travel is a challenge for many people. It's an impossibility. We saw that over and over again in Alaska when I was running the affiliate that ran Alaska and people would come from the, the coastal communities into Anchorage for the first time in their lives. And then we would find out that they were over dates because they hadn't had pregnancies diagnosed before they were able to get it together to make that huge trip. And we'd say, now you have to go to Seattle. And, and they could not fathom that. They already had... Uh, an airplane ride behind them. And once a session, we would find ourselves in a situation where someone would say, I'm stuck having a baby I don't want because I can't bring myself to go what they called outside, outside of the state. And, you know, it was a signal about the end of row for practical reasons for many people. And as you said, there are barriers in Texas that prevent people without certain kinds of papers from getting from one part of the state to the other. I didn't realize that until I was birding in Texas once and the immigration service was a good hundred and some miles into the state checking papers on the freeway. And, uh, you know, they looked into a car with me and two Asian male birders and we were all had all been down at the river looking for birds and um, waved us through. But if you had been a woman, in Texas, you, you know, and, and maybe a woman of color, you might have needed a whole lot more paperwork than that. And people weren't able to get to the main cities in Texas, which were the only clinics left at that point to get services. And so they have just made this worse and worse and worse. And when John Roberts alludes to, you know, well, you know, maybe trying to get together some people on a more moderate opinion, you know, that would embrace the 15 week standard. Uh, yeah, in Mississippi. You know, I mean, what? who does that cut out? That cuts out anyone in need of of um, genetic counseling. You know, you aren't going to get that done and get those tests back in time. 15 weeks is not a ton of time for people who have health problems. So my colleagues in Texas have begun to tell me how just people pregnant with planned pregnancies in Texas are running into snags because if they start bleeding, doctors are deciding whether or not they can afford to help them. It has, has a chilling effect on people who never thought they would encounter one-on-one -on -one this abortion question and who are finding themselves in the thick of it, even when having a healthy pregnancy was totally their goal. And so it, it creates a dangerous situation for every woman. And now we're seeing American corporations beginning to talk about how they're going to exfiltrate their key employees into safe states for healthcare. It's like, really, America is, are we going to have this conversation about exfiltrating people without having the conversation about how this should not become policy? Well, like a couple of things. One is, you know, is actually, you're right, we haven't even begun to, to really dig into the complexities of pregnancies, which we know are many. And I was, I was just visiting with um, high-risk OBGYN in Dallas, who said in, in the most a political way possible. She said, I actually don't think folks understand what this is means now for doctors to be dealing with complex pregnancies and literally have the state telling you 
you can't do anything to help your patient. Uh, so I think that's that's one element. I also want to emphasize that we know about this. We're following the news. But I'll, although even, Chris, I'll say I'm following the news. But when you got 50 states and all these efforts to, you know, pass this restriction, you know, it's it's impossible even for the most dedicated uh, person to, to follow. I'm losing track. I'm losing right. track. They, they're doing something so bizarre every day that it is that it's unfathomable. I, you know, we've got at least 25 of them trying to see who can race to the bottom faster. Right. And uh, this came home to me when I one of the women I spoke with last weekend was from Lubbock, Texas, which for those of you who don't have your Texas map handy, that's out in the middle of West Texas and Texas Tech, big university there great university. And, you know, she said, you know, a student comes in the other day for a pregnancy test, finds out she's pregnant, and then learns that you can't get an abortion in Lubbock, Texas, because it is a, literally, they, they have passed a local ordinance that no abortions can happen in, in, in Lubbock, Texas. And this woman, you know, and the clinician has to tell her, you're going to have to drive a minimum of five hours to get to New Mexico to terminate a pregnancy. This is a young person who had no idea this is happening until she needed the services. And so we have to do a better job, Chris, of helping people understand, to me, three things. One, what's happened and what's happening, and particularly as these states, you know, we sort of see this cascading series of states ban abortion um, post-Supreme Court decision. Second, what are the implications? What does it look like for folks who live in these states and soon to be coming to a theater near you? And number three, and most importantly, perhaps, is who did it to you? <laughs> because it, as long as we're focused on the Supreme Court and we could talk about that and look, I agree with you. They lied to the American people. They lied to the United States Senate. But those people are there for a reason. And the legislation that they're all looking at was passed by the Republican Party. This was not something that just sort of like dropped out of the sky. This has been the mission of the Republican Party for decades, and now they are the dog that caught the bus. And we have to make sure that anyone in the Republican Party, in leadership, in office, running for office, is held accountable for the harm uh, that is taking place now and will take place in the future as a result of their actions. Absolutely, we do. Absolutely, we do. And one of the things this podcast plans is a state-by-state -state overview, um, naming names and talking about candidates and who we can vote for. And so I think um, the message I have said on, on my last couple of shows, and we'll say again, you can no longer afford to vote Republican for any office from dog catcher to president if you don't want to see the horrors that we are talking about play out in a community near you or for people you love or for people who live across the country that you're worried about. And, you know, that's where we are. And we need, obviously, to hold Democrats accountable to make sure they do everything in their power if we vote them in to change this. And unfortunately, we didn't get quite enough Democrats elected in times past in order to make sure that this horror isn't visited on us. They have attempted to overturn this outcome in advance in the Senate by passing a protective act that would sort of codify Roe into into the law and and weren't able to overcome either the filibuster or or the numbers needed. And so here we are. This is going to be real and this is going to be horrible and there will be people who die and people need to be held accountable for that. I'm grateful that we're not of the mindset of our grandmother Cecile who who were sort of begging for every little right on a platter. We are actually fully fledged empowered voting a voting majority. And we have people telling us 
that our lives need to be risked for their smug satisfaction uh, that they were able to pull off this travesty. Talk to us about what's going on in the political environment right now about this. One thing I just want to go back to, because we see it thrown around, which is sort of like we're going to now we're going to leave this matter to the states. And so there's going to be states where you could get an abortion safely and legally, and there are states where you can't. Well, newsflash, if the Republican Party takes control of Congress this November, which is very possible, I can guarantee, I I will almost lay money on this, Chris, that House Bill 1 will be an abortion ban nationwide. And Mitch McConnell has already said, of course, he would entertain that. Other people are already planning it. The, The Republican Party has now become I, would, I don't even want to say they're captive to the far right. I think they have just become the far right. Mm-hmm. And so even though you talked about the most recent Marist poll, you I don't care where you look, people in this country do not want abortion to be illegal. They do not want to go back 50 years to the days when this was not a, the right to make a decision about pregnancy was not held by by folks who were pregnant. That to me is, we are, so we are we are kind of coming up against this titanic sort of like mashup where the American people are having something happen to them that they don't want. Now, the question is, in the political, there are both short-term political implications, what will happen in the midterms. Um, We can talk about that. But there, I mean, this is going to be a long-haul fight, Chris. Even if we were able to like hold on to the Senate, uh, which is really what I'm focused on right now, is holding the United States Senate, maybe even picking up a vote or two, that at least would prevent us from immediately facing an, a national abortion ban. But it's only a matter of time because the Republican Party has not yet, I believe, felt the the wrath of the of the American voters. And until they do, they will operate with impunity. And as you said, many of these states, because they are trying to you know outdo each other, it is a race to the bottom, frankly, on women and you know this this desire to put government in charge of such a personal decision. It's not unbelievable because, as you said, we have been preparing for this for decades, but that we are actually here and that people are dumb enough to take this hit for our country, knowing many of them what the outcomes will be is unforgivable. None of those people deserve public office. And there can't be any compromise voting anymore. Like, oh, but I like them so much on, you know, name tax benefit A. You know, we're talking about whether America, the experiment, continues or not, and whether we believe in the whole personhood of, you know, women and people of color and, and, you know, the whole justice idea of what America could be in its greatest form goes right out the window if we go back on this. So this is not a single issue. This is a whole set of issues all together that need to be taken care of once and for all. And, and, you know, I, I, Point to the example of Democrat, I mean, Republican, make no mistake, Republican Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, who no sooner did this come out, cast doubt on the right to use birth control for women. We are not at the end of this fight. This is sort of the middle. You know, if you can't control a woman's reproductive health through her entire life or anyone with a uterus, let's say girls and and anyone who has the capability of reproducing. If you can't control that, then you don't control them. And this has been a project about controlling us all along. And if if anyone thinks that Mitch McConnell wouldn't find a carve out 
to the filibuster if he had 51 or 52 Senate votes in order to pass this bill, then you haven't been paying any attention. And so, you know, he would dump the filibuster in 20 seconds, either in part or in whole, in order to pass a nationwide abortion ban. That means no abortions in California, no abortions in New York, no abortions in Washington state, any of the places where we think of ourselves as blue and a little bit safe. Give it up. This is a long siege. They have been at it for 40 years. If you think they're going to quit on the eve of their victory, I think think again, my friends. Well, can I, can I say something about this? I actually think this is I've, I mean, I've seen this play out in Texas over the last you know few decades where it was interesting back in the day. Folks like Carl Rove in Texas thought, well, we're just going to kind of invite these folks in. We're going to we're going to throw them some red meat and that way they'll be come out and vote. And, you know, here we are years later. Now they've taken over the party. And as you know, once they're inside, you got to feed the beast. And so as we saw in Texas, it wasn't that we just, oh, OK, we'll ban all abortion and now we can move on to the energy grid or, you know, improving our public schools. No, now what they're going after is transgender children uh, in the state of Texas. And as I'm sure you've seen, now they are talking about all the kinds of birth control that the Republicans don't like that they also want to ban. So as you're saying, this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, I look at I look at all the other important work that needs to happen in this country, you know, this ending of voting rights, which we're seeing painfully play out in Texas, it's all kinds of civil rights, LGBTQ rights, as you said, birth control. We're just the first step in the barrel. And if people don't understand that this is part of an overall assault on our democracy, for one, which is, of course, what the entire Donald Trump, you know, stolen election fabrication is about, but it is really about, are we going to become a country, you know, an autocratic country where no one can make their own decisions? And in fact, you are essentially beholden to the state. Because you look at, this is, I don't know, Chris, just one other thing, I just feel like I have to get in here because it really, the question to me that I think the press and the polling and the pundits get this wrong, the question isn't how you feel about abortion for the American people. Because people have, as you and I know, deeply personal feelings. That is everyone's right. The question is not that. The question is, do you want government to make decisions about everyone's pregnancy? Mm-hmm. That to me is what's up. And that's what the Republicans have said is we're going to take this right away from you, your family, your doctor. And we're going to say this is the state's right now to control your pregnancy. And if we let them do that, as you said, this is just the beginning. Absolutely the beginning. And if anyone thinks a lack of respect for a 50 year precedent a- called often a super precedent in various um, places, is any protection. Obergefell that allow us to have marriage equality, which was so wonderful and so many people were able to build their families in a different way after that. You know, that's totally on the block. If you make the argument that um, you have to go back to the 1700s in order to find real um, undergirding for rights, like keep in mind, everybody, women are not mentioned in the Constitution. Nothing that we need is in the Constitution. That wasn't who was writing the Constitution at the time. Um, and so, you know, this this is dangerous on so many levels that it's really difficult to even wrap our arms around how much attention we all need to be paying now. I mean, I think if Cecile and I can illustrate anything, it's like, be afraid right now and do everything in your power to prevent where we are. So 
you do a whole lot of traveling around the country and you're not only hearing about Texas, you're hearing about these stories from everywhere, getting besieged from all over the place. What do you think it's important for this audience who are probably very deeply into this issue to know? And what do you think we can all be doing to help spread the word to other people? Well, yes. I mean, I have my like, you know, list of five things <laughs> as I always do, like the things you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But I guess first, obviously, we have to take care of people. And I think a lot about the folks who are on the front lines right now of, you know, again, many of my friends in Texas trying to navigate the world for a person who's just trying to figure out how she can go get a legal abortion in this country. And so I think supporting organizations that are that are doing that work, supporting abortion funds that are helping people pay for things they never imagined they were going to have to pay for. I mean, if you can, you know, many of these folks are having to fly on an airplane for the first time in their lives. And so I do think it's really important to, to take care of people. I also think it's important, as you know, Chris, to um, tell your story. And, you know, I had an abortion. I, I try to talk about it as much as I can, because when, when one in four women in this country have had an abortion, that's a lot of people. And I just think anything we can do to make people understand that this is, this is part of our lives. And there is not anyone who doesn't have some relationship or experience with someone who has had an abortion. And I think it's important that we say that so that it's not this sort of, you know, behind the, you know, back in the alley kind of conversation. Second, third, um, do more than you've ever done and do stuff that makes you scared. I don't care whether that's going to a march. I don't care if that's chaining yourself to, you know, a legislator's desk, writing someone, calling your, your elected officials. We have to turn the volume up, and that requires also being knowledgeable about what's happening. So your podcast and other other um, news sources are really important for people. And then, obviously, voting, critical. And we've got a big midterm coming up, but we can't wait until the vote happens, right? We can't, you know, I saw someone someone uh, tweeted the other day, there's a friend of mine, but she tweeted, she's like, don't be angry, vote. But I was like, well, don't just vote, be angry, Right. We can do more than one thing, sure. but I will vote, vote when the time comes up. In the meantime, you in the meantime, candidates to be giving to you got to be screaming everywhere you right. go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, last, you know, last weekend I, I, I went down to Austin, which is my hometown and really with very little notice, you know, 10,000 people showed up at the Austin Capitol. And that to me, that matters is like these justices, these folks that are candidates, folks that are um, on the, you know, on the Supreme Court or anywhere, they need to see that this is not something that people are going to just take and, 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 and move on. But the other thing I've been thinking about a lot, Chris, and I know that, you know, from your, all your years of work and one thing we really kind of valued and I think loved and animated a lot of our energy was young people I know in Washington state, I mean, I remember young people I met there with you. I remember people in Hawaii and in Alaska, yep. And, yep. Um, but I was just down in, um, I've, I've been in the South a lot and there are young women that are like, I think of this young woman, Tyler Harden, who's in, um, she lives in Jackson, Mississippi. And she's literally in the face of all this, she's running a canvas, a door-to-door -door canvas with volunteers and some paid organizers talking to people in Mississippi about what's happening, people who have no idea there's a Supreme Court case coming, right? And she's organizing folks in Mississippi who are appalled to find out that the Republican governor and the Republican legislature has done this. Um, another woman, I was just actually at a retirement party for a mutual friend of ours in Florida, 
And this young woman, Chriselle Bailey, gets up, who, of course, turned out would, was um, an early plan. She, she was a, I think, went to a pizza party on her, on her <laughs> campus uh, for, that Planned Parenthood uh, had sponsored. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I, I came for the free pizza and I stayed for the sex education. And now, of course, she's graduated and Chriselle is doing community fairs around the state of Florida, giving people vital information about sex, about reproductive health care access, and also going, going to Tallahassee and organizing people to fight against what's happening in her state. So I guess part of this is, I think for older women like myself, go, this is an issue that I've fought on my whole life. But where the energy and where the leadership is going to come as well is from young people who just lost a right that they never even knew could be taken from them. And I really believe, always have believed in investing in a whole new generation of young leaders to let them lead us. So I'm hoping actually this by this fall, we need an organizer on every college campus, community college in this nation, because this was just done to them. And they're going to be the ones, I think, who are going to help provide a lot of the energy to get this undone. I could not agree more. I, I think that it isn't that people who are younger don't care about this. It's that they need context for why it is their turn now. You and I worked for a lot of years to make sure that people had what they needed. And all the while, there was this campaign going on that was unrelenting to put these folks on the Supreme Court that would make this decision for these reasons. And it was difficult to persuade people that the Supreme Court was going to be important. So as we were thinking about this, young people could not be more important. They are the ones whose rights are being taken away. Cecile and I were lucky enough, we're about the same age, to have our whole sort of um, reproductive health time covered by protections afforded by the Supreme Court. But now this Supreme Court that has been put in place step by step over the last 50 years has done what they've done. This movement moves out into every single state, which means every single voice is important and frankly critical to save the lives of the people who are now being risked by people who don't have those, um, you know, I mean, we're going to have a mostly male Supreme Court tell every woman in America what they can and can't do with their bodies by virtue of sort of throwing that to the the states where they know that trigger bans are in place. And this is not going to sneak up on people. This is going to nuclear bomb detonate on people um, who could find themselves in this position. And one of the ways that I have experienced young people coming to this is pregnancy scares and a variety of other, you know, personal experiences needing their own um, abortion care where they say, what are you kidding? This is the, the nature of things. We don't have the luxury to wait until it happens to everyone to move folks into the activist part of this. We need people to be activated now because your state legislatures need to know that they don't get to do this where you live without hearing from you and that if they do this, that there will be a price to be paid for them. And and then we have to make it true that there's a price to be paid for them because, you know, at, Democrats never um, organized themselves around the Supreme Court. We had a hard time understanding how that could directly impact the lives of so many people. 
And we are now going to get treated to what happens when we leave that up to the tender mercies of the Susan Collinses of the world who decide that patently unqualified people are in fact qualified for whatever she thinks she got out of that. And once again, we don't get to vote Republican anymore for any reason, for any any way, for any issue. There are people who prove themselves unable to look out for America. And I think that this and many other examples, gun control, uh, a lot of you know, environmental causes. These are all things that unqualify an in- entire party from any kind of leadership. And I say that unapologetically on this podcast. We now have, we're now down to cases. Do we believe in America or don't we? Do we believe everyone has a right to vote or don't we? And, you know, this is where we find ourselves in this day. And to your point, Cecile, it is going to be up to a younger generation to get us moving again in the correct direction. I agree. I mean, I, I think we all have to like have our, we gotta, gotta, all got to be on the field. Sometimes though, it can be so overwhelming. And, and to be honest, I think the Supreme Court is, it feels like, particularly now, like this body, unelected body out there in the ether somewhere that is doing things. And that can be ex- extremely disempowering. So I like to remember that an average of 4 million people turn 18 every single year in the United States. Right. And that's right. a lot of people and they are all potentially eligible to vote. And just that alone <laughs> could make the difference in, you know, Raphael Warnock's re-election race in Georgia or uh, Catherine Cortez Masto's re-election in Nevada. And so I do think it's important for young people to lean into their power and recognize their power. And I think it's important for as you, you know, women of a certain age and men of a certain age to not just wring our hands. And because look, this is, um, you know, in some ways it was our failing, right? We, we, we didn't get this job done. And so I'm not saying to anybody, we can like somehow now, you know, exit stage left, but I do think we can take energy and we can support young people who are leading who don't know any better, right? They just, they, they, they haven't had their heart pulled out and stomped on 18 million times as you have, Chris. They're, they've got energy and they believe in their rights and we got to be there with them. Absolutely. So time for people who have the resources to get up off those checkbooks. You know, what kind of country do you want to live in and what are you prepared to do to make the United States a place that we can all be proud to live in and know that our friends and neighbors are well cared for. And I would I would reiterate that people have one view of abortion and abortion legislation when it's talked about in terms that are distant from any kind of real story. So I think it's time for people to get up off their checkbooks and let's make the people that we need to have get into office, let's make their path there smoother But I also think that we need to double down on support for especially young, energetic people who are working toward the the America that we all want the country to be. We need to be sure that that they get the support we need. I I know there are a lot of candidates that are running in all the states that are energetic and they they bring uh, new ideas into the fold. And it's time for this group of people to shine a little bit. And one of the things we can do is help them do that. 
and we can put in leadership that um, that has credibility. I know, Cecile, now you are um, working a bit with the Beto O'Rourke campaign to get Beto elected. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of that in a state like Texas as we try to effect a turnaround. Sure. Well, I just I just signed on to be the national finance chair for Beto and which I don't think it really means anything other than just like volunteering to help try to get the resources and and shine a light on what's happening in Texas. You know, Texas is a is a state that of course we did have a democratic governor. It's been a long time. Uh, so it's we're overdue uh, to change direction. Boy, do we miss her, don't we? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's like, but it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I've been spending a lot of time with the campaign and they're really, they are running the kind of campaign that we ran when mom won. And that was one where you just sort of open the doors and let, let everybody be part of it. And I mean, Beto not only, you know, goes all around the state, but he's really talking about the issues that matter to people in Texas. He is talking about how do we build a, you know, an energy grid where people, you don't have your, like my father, what happened to him during the, or the failure, literally like had to leave his home. And, you know, he's like, as in his late eighties, No, he's talking about what do we do? I mean, it's horrifying what Greg Abbott is allowed to happen in this state. You know, we, you know, they, we need, our public schools need more support, including our teachers who have needed a pay raise forever. We need voting rights so that people actually can participate in our democracy. And Beto has been 100% in the forefront of talking about the fact that reproductive um, access, healthcare access for people in the state is essential and, and really illustrating how far, you know, to the extreme Greg Abbott and the Republican Party in Texas has gone, making us really the poster child of everything bad that can happen when the wrong people are in government. So, look, it's a it's a competitive race. It's a grassroots race. It's one where I believe Beto has a vision for the future. Greg Abbott does not. All he's spending his time doing is trying to take away abortion rights basically ban ban books in schools, go after transgender children and their families, and make politics about our border. He has no idea how to build the kind of future that we need. The cruelty toward trans kids, I will admit, really caught me by surprise. And the absolute hypocrisy of people who never for one moment supported women's athletics going after children who want to just be a part of a team in a school, I found astounding. It, it isn't like there's that much real money in professional women's athletics that what we need to do is make sure that the handful of trans kids that want to compete at any kind of level don't get a chance to do it. And, and we think that's what, some sort of feminist justice? You know, let's just call that what it is. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a classic sort of Republican Party distraction technique, which is if I start talking about extreme, like wild things, then no one will pay attention to the fact that our public schools are failing, that our healthcare system is one of the, you know, most unaffordable, more uninsured people, some of the highest rates of maternal mortality in the country, and on and on and on. It is a classic sort of bait and switch. And that is what what's happening. But I'll tell you, I was you know I was on a call the other night with folks from Texas, and uh, uh, this mother was on the call, and she said, you know, I've I've moved here from Florida. She said I 
I love my job. I'm so happy here. I just like, I feel like this state is just really the, you know, what I needed. She said, my son's in high school and, and he's gay. And I just worried that we're going to have to move. And I don't want to move because I really love living here. And so does my son. But to hear a story like that in 2022 in the state of Texas just makes me want to weep. And then, of course, it makes me want to just go out and knock some heads and get people to vote because that that is not the Texas I grew up in. That is not the Texas that people move to. And we cannot allow this extreme right wing Republican Party leadership to take this state down. And so, again, I guess, guess getting back to it, why, you know, there's a lot of things we can do in Texas around abortion. We can support people who are providing help, helping folks navigate the system, get them to the care we need. But ultimately, this is about politics and political power. And we've got to reassert our um, our right as a majority of this country to say we are not going to go um, back 50 years when it comes to abortion rights. Absolutely. And these culture warrior issues that they lean on over and over again, I mean, they obviously have real impact in terms of the lives of anyone with a uterus or the kid who wants to play on the team that doesn't fit the traditional mold. But it is distraction from the fact that, you know, Governor Abbott oversees a a grid that's failing, that he he took the, the state out of the rest of the the organization that the rest of the states all have together about power sharing. And, you know, it, it's sort of like, when do we punish that kind of incompetence? Right. I mean, I think one one thing, and, and it's interesting, I was uh, on the phone earlier today with a, a colleague who's been really working with the corporate world. And Texas is a fascinating place, particularly Austin, where it's enormous uh, job growth, you know, all so many um, national, international companies locating there. And so I do think this is also a time, Chris, where we have an opportunity for corporations to actually take responsibility along with the rest of us for saying, we want to both do business in and uh, support our employees in states where they are taken care of and where they can live the lives they want to live. And that is their responsibility as a good business partner to say when politics and and right-wing politics is keeping us from operating and being a successful business because people don't want to come and work here. They don't want to move to the state of Texas because of whether it's their own situation or their kids. That's where I feel like we also have a point of leverage that's really, really important, particularly in a state like Texas, where the economy is, I mean, and job growth is uh, on the rise. I feel like that's an absolutely key point, Cecile. I mean, when you have company after company on the front page of the paper announcing that they will travel people out of the states where they do business in order to get basic health care. What does that mean? And and wouldn't that have a chilling effect on companies that want to set up their headquarters in these states be, for other reasons, economic or they have the resources that are needed in one way or the other? You know, these are wonderful and beautiful states with leadership that are failing the basic test of competent governance, which is you make your state better and better and better for the people who live there. You don't create hurdle after hurdle after hurdle for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
and that we have people, you know, deliberately inflicting this pain on their state, it can't go unanswered. Well, again, I think to your point, you know, earlier in this podcast is like, why should someone have to leave the state to get access to legal health care? I mean, that's what's incredible. And whether it's a student on a college campus, whether it's someone who's got a job that they can't put at risk, or whether it's a, a mother who, as we know, the, the majority of people who seek access to abortion, they're already parents. And the thought that you're going to somehow leave your kids at home with someone else or try to manage that because you have to leave the state. And I don't care whether you work at a minimum wage job or you're a corporate executive. This is not right. And again, we haven't talked about this, but it'll maybe for another podcast, like the people, of course, that are bearing the brunt of this right now in the state of Texas are women with low incomes, women who live in rural, small town Texas who don't have the, the resources and the access um, to even patient navigators, black women, brown women, women who have um, the least access to healthcare in the state of Texas, and of course, young people who, as we've talked about, are just waking up to the fact that the state, the government, the Republican Party uh, has now taken away a right that they thought they had. Yeah. Shocking, shocking realities. And even though you and I have prepared for decades about it, I still wake up with a pit in my stomach about what this means. You know, we wrote plans about what to do about this, and they were all inadequate because they were right. <laughs> all incredibly difficult to implement and they cost a fortune to implement. And you know, I, I was thinking about how am I going to live with it? I can't can't think of something that that makes sure that nobody dies. And there was no plan we could invent where we could ensure that nobody died. And, you know, all of this is a voluntary decision by people who are deciding that that's what they want to do. And I think it's unforgivable. And we need to be very consequential with folks that that make those decisions. And, you know, and we need to count up the injury of this so that we can turn this around with due dispatch because we know like all prohibition, it fails. This will also fail. The only question is who will be hurt in between now and the time that it fails and it's acknowledged that it fails and we put the country back on its right tracks. One thing you did say, which I think is so important, I mean, and I, again, repetition is our friend here because I think we can't say it enough. It is not that abortion doesn't exist after it's made illegal. Abortion has always existed. It's just before Roe, it was unsafe. Women died. So that's what's going to happen again. And that is why just the rhetoric of the right, the rhetoric of the Republican Party just makes me want to throw a brick sometimes because, you know, all this talk about we're somehow not going to, um, you know, we're going to end abortion in our time. It's just, it's not true. What we can do as, as, a, as a people is make sure that everybody has the health care they need to get, you know, good sex education, um, counseling about, you know, how you get pregnant, what you can do, what kind of birth control, making sure it's affordable or making sure it's free, right? These are the things that we can do as a country. And then making sure that people have access to safe and legal abortion that regardless of income and, and geography. And that is something actually I believe the majority of American people support, including Texans. And we have got to, um, so yeah, we got we to hold folks to account. Mm -hmm. Anyone who talks uh, the anti-choice line and then then segues right into all the birth control methods that don't work, this is not a person interested in solutions. 
Um, those people who who talk about the anti-choice line and don't want you to teach anyone any sex ed, sex ed, you know, is the way the country changes. If if people are against that, they're not really in favor of life. And let's remember that a good many of the people who are trying to undo your right to choose and your your contraceptive methods and all the other things that go with it were perfectly fine with million a million Americans dying from COVID so that they wouldn't, you know, they didn't want to mask, they didn't want to vaccinate, they didn't want to do any of the normal public health measures that we all know scientifically to be effective. And so, you know, I, I look a little bit, um, not a little bit, a lot actually cynically at the entire verbiage around this movement. And I, I you know, it's it's like you don't have to believe it just because they say it. It's this is just another line for them. And we can't just vote for people who hand us lines. Yeah. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. And that's that's how you really know where where people are. And maybe I could just end with this is, you know, I the state of Mississippi, which, of course, is the Supreme Court case that will be decided um, that the leech opinion was about. The state of Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. It is um, their maternal mortality rate is twice the national average. Child poverty, lack of health care access is enormous. And of course, during the same legislative session in which they passed the abortion ban, those same legislators refused to expand um, Medicaid coverage for new moms from what it is now, which is you get two months, two months of health care if you deliver a child in Mississippi. And the proposal had been to extend that for a year, and they voted that down. So don't tell me these folks care about babies, care about women. They don't. They care about politics, and that's all this is about. And uh, I think just, we have to do more to point out that the same people who are voting to ban abortion uh, have uh, done everything in their power to keep people from having affordable health care access, to addressing maternal mortality rates, to addressing the programs that that uh, help alleviate poverty among children and families. So um, they just can't have it both ways. Absolutely. Two rights. Cecile Richards, thank you so much for being on The Fall of Roe today and hopefully not the last time. Hopefully we can continue this conversation as we learn more about what's unfolding in the various states. Cecile Richards, thank you very much for being on. Thank you all, friends, for listening. Wonderful to catch up. And we need to make sure that this isn't the world we all live in and let's all do it together. Thank you all so much for listening today. Thank you for listening, friends. This is Chris Charbonneau. It's been my pleasure to host this broadcast for you today. And if you'd like to hear more, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you'd like to connect with me in some way, please go to fallofrow.com for information. Thank you.